Cathedral of the Sacred Heart. Thank You're you. a Buddhist nun. Yes. And you're drawn to the spirituality of Saint Therese. Yes. And you were telling me earlier about how when you were age 16 you had your first perhaps, encounter with Saint Therese. Could you tell us about that? Yes. Well, I uh, ran away from home, at least I tried to, on my bicycle. And I ended up in front of the Church of the Little Flower. And I knocked on the door, hoping the nuns would give me shelter. But in those days, uh, they were quite cloistered and people didn't come and stay. And the nun that opened the door, she said to me that she thought I'd better go home. So I got back on my bicycle and returned. So the name of the little flower, St. Therese, was, was not unknown to you right from that age? No. And so since then, what's drawn you to her? Because you've traveled from your monastery, uh, your hermitage, in Paikakariki. Yes. You've been up to Kopua, to the monks, the Cistercian monks up there, where you sometimes go on retreat. Yes. And you were present at the Mass. Yes. And you read a beautiful poem of Therese, which you translated yourself? No, I read the letter of Therese to Father Morris, to Brother Morris, that she wrote before she died. Oh, the seminarian who was studying for yes. the priesthood, yes. And the poem was The Unpetaled Rose that Sister Sue read. Um, so what was it that drew you and has continued to draw you to the little way of Therese? When I was first ordained, um, I was only, I'd been a nun for about a year, and I came to a monastery in California, a Buddhist monastery, and one of the ladies that was looking after me handed me the autobiography of the soul, and she told me, you must read this. And I read it in one go. And that was the beginning of my discipleship. Because as a young monastic and a woman, Therese was for me uh, the most exemplary role model for what I hoped to achieve in my own monastic life. And her humility and her devotion through trials and suffering and her little acts of charity and her kindness constant compassion in her life for others um, went completely in line with the teaching that I was uh, learning about and training in. So I felt it was odd, perhaps, but it felt very natural. And so I took her on as a, a, a role model, a spiritual role model, and I began to read everything I could that she'd written, mostly her original works that she had written. And I became a member of the Society of the Little Flower in the United States. Yeah, I still have my membership card. Right. Do you, in terms of your own Buddhist faith, have a sense of relationship with Therese? I wouldn't call my faith particularly Buddhist because I think that real faith can't have a, a name on it, it's not a category. Just like real love, it doesn't belong to any nation or any religious affiliation. The pure faith, um, and she was such an example of that, the strength of her faith. Because I've been through a lot of difficulty myself, um, great challenge. And in the darkness, in the moments when there doesn't seem a way out, I, I remember what she was able to do during the dark night of her own faith. To trust. To trust, to trust, no matter what. Even if there was no consolation. This is a very heroic, um, supernatural kind of faith. 
and it is one that has to be developed, I realize. So I feel like her student, her novice, if you will. Journeying yeah. still. Uh, it's a journey, isn't yeah, it? It's a journey. still on this journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong journey. Do you, do you converse with Therese? Uh, do you talk to her? Yes. <laughs> I think she speaks to me. Like the poem that I translated of hers. Tell when, us about that. When I was on retreat at Copua about two or three years ago, Father Brian gave me a copy of a book that um, revealed some of the changes that had been made to her uh, autobiography by her sister and brought back insights into the original. And it opened up for me a dimension of Therese's practice that I hadn't fully appreciated until then. So she was present for me throughout that retreat. And because I speak French, um, and I'd read the translations of her poems, I wasn't quite comfortable with some of those translations. Very lovely. but. Being a woman also and a monastic and being in silent retreat, I listened and I felt that she gave me another translation, in particular of one of those poems, which was called My Weapons. Of course, her weapon was love. And it is the greatest protection, but for many of us, we don't understand what she really meant by this love. It's not a sentimental love. It's a very courageous love. It's like a burning, a melting, like wax. It's something you, you, you experience. I, you have glimpses of it. I hope so. <laughs> but to sustain that is, is uh, that's the goal. Yes. The, the spirituality of Therese is so much also, isn't it, about open coming before God with open hands and open heart. Yes. I suppose as a monastic, that's something that's very much the essence of your if you like, your vocation in life. Is it an emptying of those things that hold us back from total and giving and love and truth? Yeah. yeah, it's a purification. Like what Jesus um, exhorts us to do is to empty ourselves. And in Buddhism we have this too, but it's not given in the same words. But it is being able to bear witness truly to that quality of sublime and unconditional love. We have to be empty of any kind of uh, human desire, really. We have to purify our hearts to a level that is difficult to do when we're caught up in worldly life. So in the monastic vocation, that is really the essence of the practice. So we also, we, we live a very simple uh, life, and we try to focus our hearts completely on emptying ourselves of anything so that we can be present and witness to receive, as you would, the Holy Spirit. Yes. So you talk about God and the Holy Spirit. I wasn't sure that in Buddhism no, we don't there was an understanding of God or, God or the Spirit of God. But the words can be confusing, but I think the process, the journey is the same. And when I've walked with and meditated with and prayed with contemplatives, of other traditions, particularly Catholic, we've seemed to come to a place where all these words and linguistic references fall away, and we speak about our own contemplative experience. We, we speak the same language. It's, we really find that we're on the same journey. But conventional language creates separation. Yes. Words are frail. 
And what you're saying sounds like the language of Therese. It sounds like what Therese was experiencing in her own monastic life, contemplative life. Her experience is universal. It's beyond any religious category. I feel incredibly privileged to have the freedom within my own tradition to devote myself in a way that can follow her footsteps, or at least make an effort to. I think that it's very useful for, for us to um, continue to listen to her message. And the power of her living example reaches across a whole, more than a century, and it will continue to, because it bears the hallmarks of truth. It's really a message that all of us need to heed, and few of us do. So my prayer is that more and more people will try to follow her little way. Our world will be the better for it. You're a wonderful friend of Therese and of us, and thank you very much for your time. Thank you.